Well, here we are on the first Sunday after Easter. We're going to continue on in the Gospel of Mark, uh, particularly thinking of new beginnings. Easter is a new beginning for us, new life in Jesus. And so as we look at uh, Mark and his writings, we're thinking of the invitations that Christ has for us. And today we're looking at Mark 5. Uh, verses 1 to 20. Last week, you remember that we, chapter 4, finished up with Christ and the disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee, and, and there's this tremendous storm, and Christ is wakened by his disciples, and they're very anxious, afraid that the, the boat may well uh, be filled with water and go down. And Christ stands, and he stills the storm. He calms the storm, and they are really amazed at what happens, and they, they say to one another, who is this man? So that's where that question about Jesus' identity uh, ends with that story. We looked at that in our Easter text with the thought of, well, who is this man? Who is this man, Jesus, for you and for me? 2,000 years later, what, what, what does that mean for us, Jesus' identity in your life, my life, your family's life, our world's life. So as we carry on, what we see is the, the boat now reaches to the other side. So the story happens, it just carries on in chronological time. And so as there was a storm on the water, as they arrived to the uh, eastern shore now of the Sea of Galilee, which is alien territory, it's it's, it's the land of the Gentiles. As they arrive there, finishing one storm, they enter into a new storm. And the storm here takes place with uh, an individual who comes up to them and accosts them and is a man who is seen by others as out of his mind and terrorizes the community. So as we read in the next few verses, we, we don't know the full situation, but clearly there's, there's a, a mental instability in this individual, and he acts out, and people are afraid of him. And the way of dealing with that in the time was the person would be isolated from the community, so he's out in an area where there's not a lot going on, living amongst the tombs, we're told, or living amongst the caves, in a cave. And there he is isolated, and he's also chained. And he's incredibly strong, and we're told in the text that he breaks his chains, and he's violent. He's violent to others, he's violent to himself. He, he's out of his mind. And so that's the storm that Jesus and the disciples arrive to. They finish one storm on the sea, and then they enter into this new storm in alien territory with this uh, individual who is sad and who is isolated and physically abused and feels that torment in his own person. So we might say he, he, you know, he's a living zombie, if we can use that language in modern film. He, he's, he's like death has already taken him over. So it reminds us of 
Paul's message in Ephesians 2 at the beginning of us being dead in our sins. So here this man is in alien territory, Gentile territory, doesn't know anything about the Torah or the community is not committed to it and he is hurting. So that kind of is the backstory. When they arrive, we're told that the man, the individual, rushes up to Jesus and, and it knows who Jesus is. And we'll see it in the words, powerful words, uh, in verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And that was language to recognize the epitome of, of the Godhead. And the man sees and identifies Jesus as the Son of this Most High God. Remember, the disciples in the boat are saying, who is this man? Well, this man, who is filled with evil powers, presented in the Gospel of Mark, is able, even in his own mental instability, to identify who this Jesus is. So Mark is playing on that. That's, there's an irony in that reality. And so then Jesus speaks to him. And Jesus asks him uh, his name. And the man responds, Legion, for we are many. And I think this is interesting because he doesn't tell Jesus his name. He doesn't tell him his real name, his birth name. He gives the name Legion. A legion was a Roman battalion of 6,000 people, 6,000 men. And that's how it was understood. It comes from the Latin, legion. And the man identifies himself as legion, for we are many. So it's like the demons are speaking now instead of the man, but it is the man's voice. And so what we see, as just, again, filling in the story, is that the man has lost his identity. He doesn't even see himself with his real name. It's been so long since anyone has called him his name. Maybe he can't even remember his family. Doesn't remember anything about his old life. He has lost his identity. He is now legion, for we are many. And it's interesting when the man responds to Jesus, he says, my name is legion, for we are many. Note, he begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. So he begs Jesus, the man now, that Jesus won't cast out these demons out of the country. And so another thing we see here then is the man's own attachment to the issues that he deals with. He's attached now to these demons. He's attached to these destructive powers, even as we might become attached to our own addictions, whatever they might be. That there is a payoff in an addiction. There is a high. And then I, I get accustomed to that high. And even though someone offers to take that away from it, part of me doesn't want it to be taken away from me. That's what the man is saying, really. So he's lost his identity. And he's also attached to the very powers that are destroying him. So he says he begs. That's strong language. He begs Jesus, please, do not cast these parts of me out of me into another country. He doesn't want that. 
And so that, that, that's the situation uh, this man is facing. And maybe in some ways we face ourselves, you know, our own interior battles, our own interior forces that we struggle with, that we, we know are hurting us, but we don't really want to get rid of them. We, we want one level to get rid of them, and another part we don't. So we, we get stuck. We just get stuck, and we carry on. So in some ways, maybe this individual is stuck. So that's where the story is going. The, the individual is full of all of this torment, and he doesn't want really for it to end. And so then we carry on in the story. We hear he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. The story goes on. Now there on the hillside a great herd of swine was feeding. And the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. And so Jesus then gives them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned in the lake. So there's lots of questions about this. One thing we don't understand at all, but the, the fact that the, the demons, the powers, leave the man and then go into this large herd of pigs and fills them with a sense of chaos. So they rush over a hill and drown in a sea. It certainly shows the power of this element, the power of these forces, and Jesus' power over these powers. Now, 2,000 years later, we as moderns, we have lots of questions about this. We wonder how that works. We wonder, well, why would Jesus allow that, those powers to go into these other animals? Every creature is valuable in God's sight. Why, why would that happen? It's hard to really answer that. Maybe one idea is that these powers were so violent and were so forceful that if Jesus had cast them out and not driven them into something, that they might have torn the person apart, the man, and he might have died. We know other stories that when Jesus cast out a demon, the individual goes through great uh, travail and difficulty and pain before the demon is finally gone. So we can imagine if there are many demons, thousands of demons in this man, then what violence would have taken place. So we, we don't know that. The story doesn't fill it in, but there, there could have been something. The man, Jesus might have done it for the benefit of this man because he knew the power of destruction that was there. The positive piece out of all this is the townspeople come out and they see the man sitting in his right mind before Jesus. Note verse 15. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they were afraid. So the beauty of this is this man has been healed. This man has been made whole. And he, and he sits now clothed, not naked, and he... He's sitting in his right mind at peace before Jesus. And when the crowd of the town come out to see what's happened, they acknowledge this. And unfortunately, they, they are taken over by their own fear. 
And the story goes on to tell us that they ask Jesus to leave. Why do they ask Jesus to leave? I don't know. Is it because their herd of swine were destroyed? Could be. Maybe there are economic questions. Maybe they're just concerned about what might happen if we go ahead and receive Jesus. An unknown element. What we do know is they they ask him to leave. And interesting enough that Jesus does indeed leave. Eventually he gets back into the boat and they return to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. Which reminds us that Jesus does not stay where he's not wanted. Jesus will not force his hand on us. If you tell Jesus to go away and leave me alone, well then Jesus will go and leave you alone. You're not a robot. You're in charge of your life as it is. If you want Jesus, if you want him to show up, he shows up. If you want him to leave, he will leave. The crowd, this town, all the beauties of Christ right before him, they see a person, note, who had been terribly sick, sitting there in in, in his right mind. You would think maybe they would rejoice over that. Wow, we know this individual. Look at him now. This has got to be a good thing. Instead, they are afraid and they want Jesus to leave. And so we do have to ask ourselves, you know, how do we respond then to this Jesus, this post-Easter Jesus, who's risen from the dead, this Jesus who sends his spirit into us, are we receptive or not? You know, do we say yes, open our hands with yes, or do we still clench our fists and say no? The story raises those questions. The townspeople want Jesus to leave. So we keep that in mind. The individual, the man who was legion, what's his new name? Jesus knows his name. We don't know it. It's interesting that this man now wants to travel with Jesus. He wants to become his disciple. We hear these words in 18 and 19. As he was getting into the boat, Jesus, to leave, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. He wants to go with him. He wants to become one of his band of disciples. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And the verse 20, we're told, And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, an area of ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. So interesting, it raises the issue of our vocation. And the man wants his vocation now to go and travel with Jesus and be one of his band, to travel with him. And in this case, Jesus says no, he wants him to stay with his own community, re-enter it, reestablish himself in that community and tell others what the Lord has done for him. So it's interesting in verse 19 it says how much the Lord has done for you and then verse 20 he goes and proclaims how much Jesus had done for him. So there's a convergence of the Lord, Yahweh, 
Adonai, Master, Lord, Abba, and how much Jesus has done together. And so the man becomes a witness in his own community. Sometimes Jesus tells people to be quiet, tell no one. In this situation, in foreign land, where there's a need for a witness, Jesus is not going to be there immediately to, to witness. Jesus asks this man to stay and become a witness for him there. So it raises the nature of our own vocation. You know, and our own vocation, everybody's vocation is not the same. People are different and their vocation is different. In our own church family, people, you have your own sphere of influence, your own group of people, and your vocation there, your witness there is yours. You might like it to be somewhere else, but that, that's yours. Maybe this man really wanted to get away from his crazy family as he remembers him and friends who were not loyal to him and all that kind of stuff. I want to go with you, Jesus. I don't want to stay here. But Jesus says, no, I want you to stay. And so we all have to kind of, you know, wrestle with that too. What, what is the vocation that Jesus gives to each one of us? Because there is one. God calls you. God calls me. If we say yes to him, then we're saying yes to the Spirit of God in us, and we are to be his presence in our world, your world, by saying yes. You are the face of Jesus. I am the face of Jesus wherever we find ourselves. And so the story then speaks about both identity and vocation. It comes back to this issue of who is Jesus for me, who is Jesus for you. How Jesus heals this individual, frees him from his addictions. So Jesus desires to travel with us and to free us and to liberate us so that we might say yes and find our, our sense of God in Christ, our vocation in Christ, the identity of Christ, to know Christ, as Luke says, the Savior of the world. To open ourselves up. Jesus only wants what is best for you, the very best. Devil says, no, 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 he doesn't want you to do that. He, he, he wants the worst. He just switches it. He flips it around. So who are we listening to? Who is Jesus to us? The story reminds us of that truth. And then it digs down deeper, drills down deeper into our vocation, our purpose, our mission. How will we be? How will we serve? How will we go forward in this greater season of Easter? In the liturgical calendar, Easter actually goes out for seven weeks all the way to Pentecost. So in this season of Easter... How do we see Jesus? How do we receive Jesus? How are we the face of Jesus to others? How are we the light of the world? How are we the salt of the earth? How do we respond? So the Spirit of God descends upon us. May we be receptive. May we see Jesus. May we live for Jesus. May we say yes for him in an ongoing way. May you do that. May I do that to the glory of God in this season of Easter. I offer you these words on this Sunday after Easter in Christ's name.